Hey, it's Jeff McNichol down here at Mom's Music, 1900 Melwood Avenue. I was just thinking, when I was a kid, the magic was at Frankfurt Avenue, the Mom's Music at Frankfurt Avenue, and I used to beg people to get a ride down there just to hang out with the guys and see all the cool gear. Now that I'm the owner of this store, it's like a dream come true. We're recreating the magic with the vibe that we used to have at the old store. We're carrying all the gear that you're going to possibly want. We're giving you the outstanding service and personal attention that you deserve. Yeah, so we've got the great guitar shop here. We're carrying USA Fender, USA Gibson, Paul Reed Smith, Gretsch, Jackson, Charvel, anything you could possibly want. We're going to have it for you. Mom's is and always will be Louisville's music store. Thank you for tuning in to The Metal Forge. I am Mark Jackson, and I am your host. The premise of the show is pretty simple. Awesome interviews and awesome music. If you want to contact me, hit me up at MetalForgeRadio at gmail.com or visit the website, MetalForgeRadio.com. And now, let's get this show on the road. What's going on, Metalheads? Thank you all for tuning in to The Metal Forge this week. I'm Mark Jackson, and I'm your host. This week, you know, as we, you know, we've had to push things back. Uh, I have Anahata from all over Canada and one member in Australia. Cool stuff. Uh, super rad fucking guys. If you're digging the power metal, I think you're really going to like these guys because, like I said, they're super rad. So, updates in life, you know, uh, obviously everybody knows what had happened. You know, my mom was in the hospital, so we missed an episode, and uh, it's just been a crazy time. Uh, she's back home. Everything's getting better. Uh, other than that, the home front deal for me uh, closed on my house, and we're going to be moving the studio here in the next couple of weeks. I'm still uh, finishing painting. Uh, work has been absolutely fucking batshit crazy. It's summer. It's always batshit crazy in the summer, working extra hours, so on and so forth. But we're going to get something going. We're going to get it lined out, and before too long, you know, we've got the new mega fucking like metal forge studio that's gonna happen where i'm gonna be doing some more video uh and yeah so fucking right hell yeah here soon question of the week of you know a couple of weeks ago at this point was what artist do you admire no matter what they get into and vomit 666 clothing line says danzig well yeah because it's fucking danzig right uh, Hugo from Witch Trap replied back as Lemmy. Super cool. Francisco Gasparato says Alice Cooper. Mad Matt Sigler from the band Black Knife says Lord Marco. Says it's the greatest living drummer of his lifetime, 100%. Rad, dude. Fuck yeah. Levi from Time Rift says Al Jorgensen. King Metalhead 69 says Gall, which, awesome. Gall is fucking badass. Kane Steele says Alex from Testament. So Dale Lawson Jr. says Weird Al, which is pretty cool because, hey, it's it's Weird Al. Dieter Zimmerman says Mike Patton. Jane Corona. Lawrence Welk. I've been getting some weird answers from people. Like a few weeks ago, somebody said Boys to Men on something. Josh Carpenter says uh, Mike Portnoy. And uh, Danny Von Gile says Dave Lombardo. So rad stuff 
for that question. As for me, I'm going to have to agree with Hugo from Witch Trap on this and say Lemmy. Because there's so much stuff that the man has done that is so badass. Not just, you know, from Motorhead and things like that. Where he has helped write on Ozzy albums and other people's stuff as well. Super fucking rad. I actually dig the Headcat stuff more than anything, I think. Because that nice, awesome, gritty, fucking like 50s rock and roll thing. I've always wanted to do something like that as well. Just because it's fucking rad. So, anyways, this week's question of the week is, if you could pick three people to headline a festival, past, present, doesn't matter, alive, dead, doesn't matter, if you could pick three people to headline a festival, who would you pick? Make sure you guys are clicking the links to the bands below, the official websites, the Bandcamp pages, the YouTube pages, the Spotify playlist. Without being able to play shows, this is the only way these guys can make any kind of money. So please, click those links, show your support, and help these people out, because they are the ones that need it the most. Also, thank you to the sponsors, Mom's Music, Maxwell's House of Music. Go get your gear from those places. Check out Burt, Bobby, Brooks, Howard, and Mike uh, at both of the stores. Click the links, momsmusic.com, maxwellshouseofmusic.com. I also want to say, anywhere you can get your, this podcast, you can get the Wrestling Steve Show, the It's Gonna Get Weird podcast, and the Night Demon Heavy Metal podcast. So please, after you're done listening to this show, listen to these people as well. They have great content. Super fucking rad people. Check them out. Also, Better Days Records, if you're in the Louisville, Kentucky area, or... You know, you can click below. They have a Discogs page for some really cool, rare shit you can find. So, check out Better Days Records. In a world of awesome fucking power metal from Anahata, let's get into this right now. This is from Auspicious Atavism. This is The Thunderer. Where? 
All right, Metalheads, I'm being joined across North America today with the members of Anahata. Got Kyle in California, and you're going to have to help me out with this. Say your name for me one <laughs> more time. Yeah, uh, yeah, so uh, Yoan, and Yo-Ann. I'm in Tor- Toronto, Ontario, Canada right now. And I'm just north of Vancouver, BC, Canada. Oh, I thought you were in California. I'm sorry. No, nah, we're on the other side of the border. See, I... That's me being from America. I see that CA, and that's the yeah. first thing I think of. So what would you say Anahata is all about? All right. Well, I uh, guess I'll tackle that one first. So usually the big the big run-up is that uh, I wrote the demo uh, about seven years ago when I was living in Germany, in northern Germany. Uh, and I was always just kind of proud of those two songs, and they sat on my hard drive just unused, frequently listened to them, and they never really had a, a place uh other fellows that i was making music with at the time we were just focused on death metal black metal and i didn't really i didn't feel that my voice could do the justice for these songs that i knew that they needed because i hadn't met this stunning gentleman here who's joined us in the conversation <laughs> and yeah. uh you know, years go by instagram comes up and uh Yoan and i find each other i find jack on there as well and he, uh, he posted a story of himself strumming an acoustic and just singing along. I hadn't even heard Unbound at that point, but uh, I liked liked Yoan's buttery smooth voice and mm-hmm. uh, asked him if he'd be interested in contributing just to give some vocals to those two songs. I uh, didn't really have necessarily a big plan in mind, and the same went with Jack as well. He posted a story of himself just tearing that guitar up. And uh, I asked these guys, like, hey, you want to contribute to this i've got these two tracks that are just kind of unfinished would love to see what you guys do with them just what you think would work and uh well they did and it blew me away so much and it moved me like i had taken about a four or five year hiatus from making music um and that just completely reignited this massive fire in me and after Yoan sent me the first couple uh, te- teaser videos of him recording vocals and Jack sent me the, the solos, I thought, holy shit, uh, I think we've tapped into something here. And the rest of the album flew out of me over the course of a month, two months. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. Yeah. Wow. So. See, that... And you said you sat like dormant, you know, you've been having the two demo songs for like seven years and it's always interesting to me how being a musician myself, we, we can always come back to something that we had written a long time ago. And it's like, it might not be the right time to release that yet, but there will be a right time. Oh, absolutely. That's kind of the first thing that we scavenge it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was like the first thing that, um, really brought uh like kind of gravitationally pulled me and kyle together for a lot of the aesthetics and a lot of the things that we were gonna start doing with the project moving forward was the fact that we both could relate on the fact that we had tons of music from years and years before just piling up and almost knowing that it's okay because a lot of people think like i need to get this out like right now and like i think it's really important especially for artists today to really let that stuff permeate a little bit the same way that a brewer might keep his batch like in the cupboard a bit longer than he might have wished to anything like that is just it's going to make it better especially the like right place at the right time and with the themes of an anahata being so woven into like fate and the holy grail quest like it just makes sense when this stuff meshes together right and it really makes you think even as the creator like 
is fate in charge of me or am I in charge of fate in some sense? Mm, yeah, it's totally, I, I would say in terms of just to add on to that, the woven fate, I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately with the way everything is going, mm. right? Like, right. The, the balance between uh, how much can we exercise our control over the different threads of fate that already exist? Are the threads of fate there, but it's up to us to weave what we want with those loose threads? For real, yeah, absolutely. And see, this sort of aesthetic or and also uh, meditational pull really helped us make the album what it is, I think. And it's it's kind of like uh, we said in a different interview, like a few weeks ago, like we we really did pull each other together through that sort of essence. Since it like as opposed to jamming, like most people's bands would, like we are completely in different areas of the world right now, right? But for some reason, it worked extremely well and that's deeply on a philosophical level i think before anything else definitely there's so many bands out there today and i hate the term bedroom project so i've switched all of that around to starting to call it a passion project because it's something that we're all passionate about and yes there's so many of them out there where you guys are in two different parts of canada across the country from Mm -hmm. one another and you know uh wherever jack is is there ever a chance that you all are going to say, you know what, this is doing something fucking cool. Let's set this up and possibly do a tour. Well, um, we, <laughs> I don't know if it, I, I don't know if I could go so far as to say it's a spoiler at this point, but we, I have been receiving a couple messages from a few German PR labels that I didn't even contact. They've just reached out and messaged us and said, Hey, we'd like to talk. Uh, I haven't responded to those emails yet. I just got them on the weekend and been, working like a dog but uh need to get back to them about that and see what sort of thing they have in mind um yon and i can probably get together without too much difficulty really yeah Um, i've got a couple guys lined up who have said that they would fill in spots for a live lineup uh the hiccup comes from the fact that i don't think i'm gonna find anyone who can casually play the shit that Jack has laid down on that album. Uh, it's, it's pretty out there. Uh, I think that we've, we've discussed with, uh, Yoan's friend from unbowed and our producer, Alex, uh, nomadic art studios. Uh, he's unbelievably great musician. I don't know if he's quite as fast as Jack, but, uh, he can definitely work his way around that. So I think that we'd really like to see him in a live guitar setting, uh, in the event that it was unlikely that we could import Jack for uh, either a North American or a European tour. Oh, right. hell yeah. Like, like Alex would be more than down for that. I was actually just talking about that with him last night because I've been working on some other projects with him. Uh, and yeah, he's always down for that sort of thing. Uh, he's just like a musician at heart. And any sort of project that he f- finds passion in, he'll he'll be down for it forever. And so, yeah, absolutely, he's down for that. And the fact that we were always talking about this in like a sort of positive affirmative affirmative stance of like when we tour, it'll yes. be like I think that really adds to it as well. So oh, yeah. we we've been saying a couple times that there. I was talking about having a shirt done up, which. Uh, Depending on how the print arrives, I've got some test shirts arriving with some new artwork. Uh, depending on how the prints arrive, I'm thinking about having the album art on the front and then on the back side have a Solar Renaissance World Tour 2025. 
and have all of the dates pre-listed and just see if that weaving of those threads can work in our favor can a little make, bit can more. make it happen for sure exactly. Hell yeah. absolutely all right let's grab a drink take a break come back talk some more anahata Hey everybody, let me tell you about the new sponsor to the Metal Forge, Unchained Tapes. They're an independent Pennsylvania tape label. They focus on extreme metal and punk with a killer approach to the tape scene. Visit their web store at unchainedtapes.bigcartel.com now to get your fill of tapes. And for being a Metal Forge listener, enter the code METALFORGE10 at checkout to get a 10% discount on your total purchase. That's unchainedtapes.com bigcartel.com Hey, are you all in a band? Do you need merch for shows? By now I'm sure you've seen all the Metal Forge patches that are available along with many more. Well, the printer I use for those is UKR Patcher. Check them out on Facebook and Etsy. They do awesome custom work and for extremely affordable prices for any band budget. Check them out at UKR Patcher on Facebook and Etsy. Hey, let me tell you guys about Mercenary Press. They're an independent London label and distributor of all things metal. Mercenary Press delivers the goods from their own independent zine. Trust me, you're going to want to get in on that. To distributing various bands from all over the world, including Cramp from Spain and Sadistic Force from Texas. Visit mercenarypress.bigcartel.com to find out what all they have in stock and what you can order. And for Metal Forge listeners, enter code METALFORGE to receive a discount on your total purchase at mercenarypress.bigcartel.com. Check it out now. Auspicious Atavism came out on the 14th of May here just about a month ago. Tell me about that. Yoan. Yeah, so it was actually a really cool release date for me and Alex because we also had uh, the same release date for another uh, project of ours. And so we had this sort of Apollonian, like, court-martial sort of solar project coming out on the same day as this project that I was releasing with my other friends that we record up in Finland, actually, where we kind of lock ourselves away for about three to four weeks to record some raw Finnish black metal. And so the two of those coming out on the same day always felt right to us. And uh, by most of the people who follow me and Kyle's reckoning, it seemed like that was the exact thing we should have done because most people not only follow us for the way we write and like the sort of style that we seem to bring to the table with stuff, but also because of a lot of the writing that me and Kyle uh, dabble in and the sort of way we try and uh, organize our own personal lives. And I think all of that stuff rolling up into one was the perfect way to release that. And it's uh, the the date is also uh, indicative of spring, I suppose, in a way. And so realistically, uh, we needed to (laughs) release it in a spring date. So right around Ontario here, the the snow was really letting up around then. And uh, just you could really see the sun bursting through. And that's kind of what this album sounds like to me. It sounds like a glorious triumph. So so that seemed like the perfect time to release it. Yeah, it had to be spring. Absolutely had to be spring. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, musicians are creatures of habit for the most part. It's It's one of those things where 
we tend to release albums around the same times every time we go to release an album, I think. I get it. Well, hopefully, as, as you're saying that, I mean, hopefully that's that's the case because uh, the last interview also asked us, you know, when, when are we expecting to do some more music? And uh, Yo and I were talking about that. And when, when the weather is this amazing and there's, you know, it's light until 10 p.m. up here, I find it very, very difficult other than in specific circumstances like this where we're having a chat to uh, shut myself inside and, you know, I, I close the blinds and write guitar yeah. everything. <laughs> really. Right. Yeah. So you would be a winter writer as it were. Oh yeah, yeah, probably around uh, mid-October, basically when the first uh, when the second snow falls on all of my mountain peaks because the first snowfall, I still like to go out and I make a couple more summits. I'm big into mountain climbing. Uh, but once the second snow falls and the trails are really obscured, then I kind of I'm like, all right, I'll take a weekend inside. <laughs> Definitely. It's it's that time where you know you, you get to the point where you're just like, all right, this is this is when it's going to go down. Yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is a super cool thing to have as a musician, I think, to to know your to, to be no pun intended in tune with all mm. of your surroundings to be able to write. Absolutely. And I think especially in terms of a project in the energy and vein of Anahata, uh, that very solar theme, <clears throat> that it's very much worth it to sort of take that outside summer charged up energy that we've been building on and immersing ourselves in for the past three, four months. And as we are forced inside or come inside, you know, from the weather, uh, sort of to bring that inside with us. And it's sort of, it's, it's almost symbolic of the Yule tree in a way that it's this symbol of summer, a tree that is always green. And so we come inside and we've got all of that charged up solar energy from sunning our balls through the summer and <laughs> yeah. we are able to project that into the music and so basically for us sun shines year round it's six months of the spring and summer and then six months of us being the spring and summer and us being that fertile sun yeah sure. i couldn't have said that better myself uh, to add to it i think it's almost important to note how important each and every season is to the creative process of writers as well so like like you say when when you're on top of a summit like that's really where the the melodies come from it's like that's that's truly like you're taking that beautiful immersive source and thinking i need to like my job as a musician is to be the magician that turns this into a spell that others can hear and feel the same way i felt at the top of that mountain and really mm -hmm. when you take when you take that season into you during the winter seasons and you're really trying to remember that's where like you know the sort of nostalgic and uh what, what would be the other word the, the nostalgic and like really uh, sentimental parts of the musician and like the, the romantic aspects of this sort of creative process that's kind of where it needs to distill itself into music i guess you know so it kind of it, it's the rom romanticization of something you saw in the summer bringing it into the winter and keeping it there so you can make it into something for next summer almost Absolutely. And you get almost this act of sublimation where it skips a center point. And sometimes, like, there were numerous points in writing this album where it was a sublimation point where I would come in, I sat down, and uh, I, I had some some help. But uh, I, mm -hmm. I sat down, I picked up my guitar, and it was sort of like, uh, I got this riff, 
Mm, uh, plink, plink, plink. You sort of hit a couple chords, and then something just hits you, and it just floods in. And I swear, when I was writing these songs, I I was I knew exactly what the layers had to be, what the progression had to be, what the next riff was going to be, what the layers, what the drum fill was going to be. It literally, I I think I wrote a song and a half every Saturday morning in the span of about two hours. And then the Sunday morning, I would come down and sort of clean up what ended up being the demo tracks. Uh, and that's how the album sort of came together. Uh, obviously, as usual, the demo tracks aren't just polished. It's a, it was just demos to send to Yoan and Jack and be like, here, this is what I'm working with. Uh, but yeah, it just, it just erupted forth out of seemingly no conscious space, nowhere that I was aware of and working to write with. It just hit me. And it's almost intimidating in a way because you're like, you know, not not to sound too full of ourselves here, but I mean, it, it's a brilliant record. I'm I'm amazed with it. I when every time I I listen to it, I'm like, holy crap, we we made this, and I'm almost intimidated to try and follow it up. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and it's it, it starts with the the fool, and that's what you've just described, right? It's kind of like you stumble through, and event like you know, every grand adventure starts with that first step, and then. Believe it or not, even though you were looking at a mountain at one point, you end up at the top eventually. And like, you know, I think that's really important. And that sort of uh, that sort of vibe we, is what we tried to keep tethered to this sort of record. Definitely. And it takes a lot of out of you, you know, just to be able to produce something on a magnanimous scale. And, and yeah, and it can become daunting. Sorry, I didn't like I, I was just going to say uh, I, I just had my, my daughter, my first child was born just before the album started, before I started writing the album too. Oh, wow. So it's, so I get that, that drain that like, oh my God, a chapter is done. Like, you know, I, I, not, not to downplay, you know, my, my wife giving birth and everything, but I feel like <laughs> I gave birth. I feel yeah. like I also got to give birth with this record. It feels like no, it's, a I get it's that. a different type of child. It, <laughs> yeah. it very much is. And that's when you know you have something special, I believe, that when you do have a release like that, it's almost hard to come up with something after it because it's it's not necessarily, necessarily the thing of, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to top that? But it's like, oh my gosh, this is so grand. How can I top that? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's, it's two different mindsets of looking at it, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily an intimidation factor that of that, but a acknowledgement, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I yeah. think the best the best thing that any artist who feels that can do is remember uh, the old Germanic rune of Hagalaz, which is it just basically means storm. And so you should always be going through this process of like completely gouging what you were to become something more. And that's not always a most like a, a very constructive or does it not always looks very constructive, but it will always turn out into something beautiful, kind of like a snowflake. It's always different, right? Anytime and you know what's that funky that about Agalas as well is that mm. it sits at the exact halfway point between algies and thurs. It sits right. at the exact halfway point between life and death, between creation and destruction, between fertility and the thorn of winter. That's right. Uh, so the exact meeting point of those energies, and that is what creates life. It's the threshold. It is, yeah. And so that sort of constructive chaos is what all artists need to thrive with. It's like you hate yourself, you love yourself, you think <laughs> this project's great, this project is nothing, 
And ultimately, that sort of avalanche of emotions and ideas will get you somewhere that the human mind could never have gotten you through logic alone. And that's kind of the best way to cre keep creating your magnum opi in some sort of way. Right. Yeah. Well, conscious thinking. That's it. Very yeah. much. And I think, <laughs> and I think <laughs> most artists struggle with the fact of what you had just said is yeah. this is awesome. This is terrible. This is everything. And yeah. a mm. lot of people, I, myself included with, with my stuff, I often think, man, I'm not good enough for this or, you know, I'm, I'm better than this or, and right. you just have to take it a day at a time and let things play out, which yeah. going back to, yeah. you know, just what we were talking about a few minutes ago is, you know, the destiny of things, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's how you end up with 12 years between an album like Tool. Yeah, I was so, so funny that you mentioned Tool. What I was literally just going to say is like a, a little known fact about why they're called that is because they believe themselves to be some sort of conduit for something greater. Mm. It's almost like they don't make the music. They're, they're named Tool because they feel like they are the tool that creates for mm. something greater. Well, it's, uh, well, Adam Jones is the tool that makes <laughs> that all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because... They're very much a passion project as well. He sits. Danny Carey just makes me never want to drum again. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. He makes me not ever have wanted to start because <laughs> I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm not a drummer. See. <laughs> yeah. But but it's a it's sort of a selflessness that sort of way of philosophy because it's like you can be proud of what you've done in a sense that you also realize and humble yourself in knowing that it's not just you who did it. It's uh, yeah. the things that you put into your programming in that specific time of your life for sure yeah. yeah so so many of these passion projects out there they they tend to do the same things with releasing an album this is a digital release only right now yeah yeah are there plans to do physical copies uh well uh again i've gotten a couple of messages uh there was one German label. Uh, the name escapes me right now. Sorry, guys, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> but uh, And then uh, quite a few comments I've seen on other text interviews and on uh, when New Wave of Traditional Heavy Metal shared our album. Uh, one of the comments was, uh, was saying that they want Cruz del Sur to pick us up. Um, I don't necessarily have any preference. I mean, if, if someone contacts us and says, hey, I, we'd love to put out a physical copy. Great. That's awesome. Uh, we've, I've gotten lots of messages via the Bandcamp uh, contact page just asking, are there plans? Are there plans? There aren't plans right now, but if you want to reach out to, to someone like uh, No Remorse Records or Bad Omen Records, uh, not that we would be opposed to that. <laughs> Definitely. Shadow Kingdom. Shout out to those guys. And, you know, shout out really fast to uh, the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Uh, dude shares so much stuff and it's just I've so awesome. So many through him. Yeah, for sure. But definitely, you know, uh, having a physical release of something I think is always where it's at. I, because I love getting new stuff and mm. being able to look at liner notes and stuff and like just even having something on vinyl, I think, and I'm not the world's biggest vinyl collector, but more often than not now with more independent bands, I have been buying more vinyl of those bands mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. 
there's so many different releases of it, different colors. Uh, back, uh, there's black ones, there's clear, there's uh, piss yellow. <laughs> you know, there's just so many different options on vinyl these days that it's from a collectible standpoint, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's totally. also, it's, it's kind of from like a, an academic standpoint as well as kind of how I've described it in the past, wherein like, you know, growing up, I was kind of that sort of same sort of inquisitive metal digester where it would be i'd find a new band on like the metal archives and i'd find them on youtube or somewhere like that and it wouldn't stop there it would have to be i need to read the lyrics i need to know who's in this i need to know what they liked before i need to know what the lyrics mean i need to know all of this and then also buy what they have because that's a tome it's like a little piece of history and it's a little piece of something that uh, clearly moved me and therefore i I owe it I, i owe it to them b would like to have this just so I can have this and show it to my friends as well. It's something I can give to someone and it's a physical thing and therefore imprinting a physical memory in their brain about something that clearly matters because I bought it. So I, I think I'm with you there. It really does mean something to buy vinyls or cassettes or anything like that. Well, I think it's one of the things where getting into a band too late is one of the ba- one of the things that I've had happen in my life where I'll find a band and I'll buy like their third or fourth album and I'll try to yeah. go back to pick up like the the first albums and find the demos and and so on and so forth and it's really a bad thing for me when I buy like a third or fourth album and then realize that the band has been broken up for like three or four years. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. (laughs) You know? And (laughs) so that's why I think, you know, catching catching in on something on like a, a, a quote, ground ground level is super fucking cool. (laughs) So. No, uh, for sure. I mean, at least that's what I think anyway. (laughs) Oh, I agree. Full heart. Yeah. Let's take a real quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get into some general profile questions with Kyle and Johan from Anahata and see what they think about just life in general. Hey, guys. Wrestling Steve of the Wrestling Steve Show here. Uh, so if you're currently listening to the Metal Forge with Mark Jackson, then you understand that Mark Jackson has a pretty discerning taste when it comes to music as a whole. You also understand that he has a discerning taste for professional wrestling, just like me. My show is called The Wrestling Steve Show. Uh, I talk about modern and classic pro wrestling in a completely unbiased, unfiltered way. Be sure to check me out on all available podcasting platforms. That is The Wrestling Steve Show. And I am the host, Wrestling Steve. Just remember, uh, like, like Confucius said, uh, man who goes through turnstile in Thailand uh, is going to Bangkok. Pro Wrestling. Hey, it's Mark Maxwell at Maxwell's House of Music. Listen, all this stuff is now available to purchase on our website. Check it out at maxwellshouseofmusic.com. We carry all the top brands, like Fender. We got Gibson. We also have basses. We've got ukuleles. We've got drums. We've got sound gear. We've got keyboards. All right, so I'm going to shift some gears here. We're going to switch over and do some general profile questions on you guys. This is all about you as people. 
you know, I've talked to a lot of bands from all over the world, uh, especially through Zoom and over the phone and Messenger and stuff because of COVID. Uh, I would love for them to be on tour coming through Louisville and I could talk to them, but take what we got because obviously, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you guys because you're not going on tour until 2025. <laughs> uh, we're going to start out with a big one here. Uh, what is the worst advice you've ever received? All right. So worst advice I've received. Hmm. One that comes to mind that uh, it has its ups and downs, but I had a uh, friend years ago who always said, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it everything. And uh, I don't know about that one. It's, um, you, there are a lot of things that you can't fake it till you make it. Like you, you can act a certain way, but I think that if you're looking to associate with genuine people who are on the path that they want to be on and are living the life that they want to live, those sorts of people, like yeah, not to sound like I'm on a high horse here, but I'm sure that Yon and I can recognize people who are faking it uh, without having made it. And you just... I think that genuine people do have a good, solid radar for that. They can tell when someone's faking it. They can tell when someone is uncomfortable in a situation or when they've been caught in a lie. And so I would say don't don't fake it till you make it. Just be just be honest. If you know if you're in a situation where you feel like you need to fake it, why 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 do you need to fake it? What's the what's there to gain from faking it instead of just admitting like, hey, you know what? I don't know what to do in this situation. So let's find out what to do from the other people who are in this realm. Right. I think I'd have to agree with you at that one. That's, uh, it's advice that I think every young man will hear from one of their friends in some point in time, and it's always kind of bullshit. Yeah, I have to agree. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, uh, like anytime someone's faking it till they make it around me, yeah, you can sniff that out right away, especially with the people I kind of have run with since high school. It's kind of like you see them and immediately you're just like, yeah, that's what he's doing right there. He's faking that. And it's always strange because, you know, it comes from a good place. They want to impress you. They want to show their worth. But nine times out of ten if not 10 times out of 10 or 11 times out of 10, I, I will always appreciate someone who is just wants to hang out with us or around me and wants to learn something or maybe doesn't know quite as much as they wish they'd known. And I'm always game to show them that. And like, yeah. I think some of the best advice that I've ever been given is to humble yourself to the point where, yeah, you know what? I don't know everything. And there's plenty more on this amazing earth to learn from. Yeah. Like if you go into people. a situation pretending to know what's going on, then yeah. you're not leaving open room to learn what exactly. Going on. Well, yeah, it's yeah. the same type of person who always will go. I know to everything you say. Right. And <laughs> you know, you, you didn't know. And I know you didn't know because of the awkward conversation we just had before this. And I'm just telling you now. So we both know for future reference. And also, yeah. especially in like band situations, the amount of people, me or Alex or other, anyone else in a band is to kick out of a band because they're trying to fake it till they make it in that same sort of way. It's just it's just not on. You're on stage with people you say you respect, but you don't have the time of day to, you know, learn the parts or understand the parts or, you know, anything like that. It's really important because when we get to showtime and people are seeing us and they see that you're you don't have the same stage presence as the rest. 
it makes us all look like a joke. It makes that whole animal look like it's walking funny. Oh, I know. <laughs> Come on, nobody laughed at that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah, you get the one band. There was there was this one band from Vancouver years ago where only one of the guitarists went up on stage wearing corpse paint and nails. Man, and that's just, just like, so bad. Oh, I just can't. God, what are you doing? Like I, I, I've said in a couple other interviews that I really like to see a live performance. Like I don't, yeah. I don't want to. I don't just want to see bands performing in their t-shirt and jeans anymore. I've had my fill of that. Yeah, but I get you. At least, at least be consistent. Like when that guitarist showed up to that show that night, everyone else in the band should have said, you know. Joe, oh, what are you doing, man? Take that. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> right. It, it, it builds so much inconsistency with the rest the of the amount band. of people like you should like the amount people are demanding like a live ritual these days is yeah, like exactly. you, can, you can tell though. Like it, like people love to go out and see that. It's like it's not enough to spend the money that they earned during that week just to see you playing your goddamn jeans next to a guy yeah. in corpse paint. Like you need to you know, up the ante a little bit here. Yes. Like uh, one of my favorite and biggest mentors in the music scene would be Alan Averill, the singer of Primordial. And he always said when he was younger and still to this day thinks about going on stage, like almost like going into a battle of sorts. And those people, even though you're cool with them off stage, the other bands that you're playing with, it is a competition. There's one band right. that you usually remember from that night. And if it's not going to be you, then that's a waste of your time and everyone else's time. Nice. Well, I think <laughs> Kyle's right on this too. Is there there needs to be a performance? Any yeah, sure. any any five dudes can get on stage. Yeah, but any five dudes can get together and put together a show. That's some, that's something special, especially it is. you know especially in an independent metal band. If you can mm -hmm. do that, being an being in an independent band, you you might as well yeah. you write you write the ticket right there. So. Yeah, I wouldn't exactly. I agree. I think I wouldn't even say it's an if anymore. It's like a has to be. Like that is like you know paramount to your survival as a band and in the brains of other people who you know realistically don't give a shit about you until you've proven why they should. You know, yep. right? What metal band does everyone like but you? Hmm. Yo, when you go first, I'm going to think about this one. Oh, man. I think I'll have to think about this, too. Um, what does everyone like except me? To be, I don't, to be yeah, honest. I don't want to answer it and accidentally slander any of our peers. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, to be honest with you, whenever I see anyone I'm around who tells me... Band. It could sure, be Sure, like, like, Lamb of God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess... Like my friends and I, like when it goes into like the, the the third or fourth layer of like peers we know, it seems like it's a staple to like I don't know, like Megadeth or Metallica. But realistically, I grew up on the more the Iron Maiden side of things. If that right. makes sense, I don't know if that makes sense yeah, at it all. Does. But like, yeah, okay. So like Metallica and Megadeth were never humongous influences to me, and were never a thing in my household because my parents were big metalheads as well. And so most of the time, I was taking out like Hawkwind or like uh, like Motorhead stuff more than any of that thrashy stuff. I'm like, I can listen to it now when I'm older now, and I can listen and say, ah, that's I get why people would like that. But when I was younger, I was always like, I really just don't see what there is to this that other people do. I guess I I don't know. <laughs> Right I guess I, that just sort of spurred a little thought for me. I mean, it's, it's also the same where my tastes have changed over the past, you know, 
I, I'm 28 now. I've been listening mm -hmm. to metal for like 17 years pretty well. Uh, and there are bands that I love now that my thrash elitist 15, 16 year old self would be like, what? <laughs> How dare you, you poser? And oh, there yeah. are bands that, that I try and listen to that I just don't get into anymore. And one of those is Slayer. It just doesn't yeah. do much for me anymore. And I know there's going to be the occasional jaw, jaw from that. But uh, it, I don't, I can get it. I see why I liked it as a teenager. But listening now, I'm just like, eh. It's fun. It's funny seeing like the geographical influences even over like small little areas. Like, so I'm from a town called Guelph in Canada, or has grown up here, and it's kind of like a mini Oregon. And like everyone around here that we we knew was really into folk metal and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But if you move, you literally move over a simple like half an hour away town, and you get to somewhere called Kitchener, and like a lot of that stuff is more super thrashy. And the people I know from that scene. They just laugh at us all the time. Like we're just sat in like some little wood, like listening to flutes playing over double kicks yeah. for most of my high school life was that's basically where I was. And I didn't really understand the sort of grittiness of like an industrial city like Kitchener and that, but I get why they would listen to that there, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Vancouver was the same. Vancouver always had this mm -hmm. like, yeah. Death. Chuck Schuldiner, Morbid Angel. There was a lot of tech death metal bands. Like I think Archspire is actually quite big now. Um, oh, right yeah yeah and so there was always this sort of like tech death vibe in vancouver mm. yeah. and in, <laughs> in, in squamish where i'm from just like 45 minutes north we had a crust punk and grind <laughs> and yeah. we were having just disgusting piss up grind punk shows in garages yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that 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 was a big influence for me, right? Like I could That's... still picture myself as much as I want to do a big show and stuff. I I could play a garage show. I could be convinced. Oh hell Definitely. yeah, man! I love for them. sure. Well, you know. That's so wild to me about that with Vancouver, you know, <laughs> that's just so wild. Yeah. That it's a tech death scene and, and like a big crust punk scene up North and everything. It's like, what really? And here I'm like, yeah. I'm like, spells pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like, they're, they're Spell like space guys. rock, you know? <laughs> Fun fact, my, my first band when I was a teenager, we opened for spell when they were still called striker. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're good guys. They, like oh, them. absolutely. Great guys. Uh, shout out to, to those guys as well. Uh, they, they were on the show about a year ago, actually. So yeah. super cool dudes. Nice. Um, but I think everything has a shelf life and I think you're not supposed to get into certain bands until a certain point in your life because mm -hmm. it, uh, of a maturity aspect of just the things you experience in life in general, you're not equipped to handle certain artists at a certain time. Uh, hmm. I, I guess what I mean by that is, uh, I'll, I'll say by example, Bruce Springsteen. Like, yeah. like him or not, I think everybody has a point in their life where it, the stuff he sings about just kind of clicks, and you're like, oh, yeah. well, okay, now I get that. And yeah, I for, feel that. For, for sure. me, it was between the ages of like 24 and 27. You know, so I think there's a certain maturity and i guess uh you have to go through certain things to understand and you know that's where like the slayer thing the shelf life with slayer is i totally get that because it's like they speak highly to the you know 14 to 19 year old crowd still 
But, I mean, you know, being 38 myself, they don't speak to me like that anymore. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah I can pop in a, a couple of songs on the playlist just to get, you know, charged up because it's like blah, heavy shit. But like, oh, yeah, Chemical Warfare is still a banger. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, uh, I love Reborn. You know, it's like, yep. yeah, it's mm-hmm. like there are certain things that they can't go wrong on, but I'm very much a. You know, with there's so many uh, first four album Metallica fans out there, I'm a first four mm-hmm. album Slayer fan and a first yeah, uh, no. first four album Megadeth fan, so <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so sure. what is the worst album by your favorite band? I got to say, uh, one of my favorite bands of all time would be Jethro Tull, oh. and they have, they have some real strange later stuff that maybe I'm not uh, equipped for yet. I don't know, but they have... Um, I don't even remember the name of it. It's like JethroToll.com, I think it's called, or just oh, yes. .com, maybe. Yes. And oh, I, it came out in like nothing, 98 or 99 or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And like, I don't have anything against it, but like definitely the my favorite thing about Jethro Tull would be that sort of magic and the way they can like very beautifully put like certain aspects of the way you might look at the forest or the aspects where you might look at life in sort of such a beautiful folkish way, but with also adding the fact that they want to show you that they're very good at their instruments. <laughs> like I, I haven't found that on that one per se. So I'd say even though they, they hold many of the spots for some of my favorite albums of all time, that one definitely hasn't clicked the same sort of way. And maybe if I understood what they were going for, uh, I've never really read any of the interviews they did around that time, but like, that's a big part of it for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I, I know that a lot of people love to throw shade and hate them, but I love Trivium. And oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll take that. I'll take any look. Um, and The Crusade is just a shame. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's not a tight album. It has a couple good songs. You know, Becoming the Dragon's pretty good, but the production is very flat, very dry, very digital. I, I think, you know, because because I'm a, quite a big fan of theirs, I, I keep up on a fair bit of what they're doing. And I believe that they've even said themselves, like, yeah, we did a couple shortcuts and things we wish we hadn't done with the Crusade. We should have done this, should have done that. And obviously, that's a that's a learning thing for me as well, because they one of the big things that they said was, I'm, I'm certain someone's going to call me out on it at some point, but I'm pretty certain that they said that there were a few times with the drums that they were like, ah, I can't really hold that double bass that long. We'll just put a sample over that riff part and just have the sampled drums or, Oh, we missed up that fill. Oh, that's fine. Just MIDI drums it in. Um, right. And it's just, eh, yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do much for me. So I'd have to say the crusade by Trivium is my, is the worst album by my favorite band. Right on. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> yeah. The whole, uh, sampling thing where it's just like ah oh, we'll just put it in and post no when you're on that <laughs> level when you're on that level when you're spending tens of thousands of dollars on recording you better get that shit right fucking yeah before you put it out <laughs> for yeah. sure so with the pandemic a lot of us have probably had a lot of downtime did you learn any new skills during the pandemic or anything uh i'll, I'll go first this time i guess uh when everything's first kicked off like last March, you know, a year and almost a half ago. Uh, very first thing I actually did was get into gardening. 
I cool. dug some garden beds in my backyard, started researching. Uh, there's some great, uh, I don't think it's Charles Dowding. Yeah, Charles Dowding on YouTube, I believe is his name. Uh, he's got some great stuff. He's over in England, but it's a similar climate to where I am in Canada. It's uh, I- I'm in a very temperate area of Canada, just on the West Coast. It doesn't get much colder than zero Celsius. Like, really, we'll get the occasional good winter storm where it gets much colder here and there. But on the coast where I am, it's just wet. It's just slushy. So it's a different growing environment. Um, and so to be able to find some resources that we're dealing with growing in my climate and with the soils of Cascadia was, was great. So yeah, I, I got quite big into, yeah, I mean, it sound like a doomsday prepper here, but I got big into gardening and homesteading. I did a lot of research on what it's going to take to have chickens, what I can do to prepare, you know, solar panels. We're going, yeah. we're going off the grid, baby. <laughs> <laughs> going off the green. That's awesome. Yeah. I was working at a museum at the time because I was straight out of university, like had just recently graduated a history degree and I had had my belly full of people saying there was there was no jobs in history, so I was like, fuck it, I'll become a blacksmith. So I'll show you. <laughs> and so I kind of That's was kind of a history job. Yeah, so it was at a living history museum for like set around 1914, so right in in the middle of World War One, or not middle, but right before World War One set is kind of where this village was set, and so a lot of the things I was making were to do with that time period. Uh, one of the main things that I'd found from just going straight from university into uh, like a nine to five job right away was that. Uh, I didn't have as much time for my hobbies. And so it was really funny that this hit the same time that it did because all of a sudden I have time for all of my hobbies and no time for any work to do. And so what I decided to do was really drive home my my uh, fitness apparel business and really drive home making the sort of things I want to be blacksmithing. So at my home forge, I started going really hard into making uh, things that you might find dug out of the earth that are very esoteric in their nature. So like pendants with runes on them and things like that. And so honing that skill was a big part of it. Um, and I've also recently started uh, taking out how to ride a motorcycle because I've always wanted to do that. So that's awesome. a big one for me. Yeah. So uh, that's the that's the latest one, I'd say. You know what? I think you're the uh, actual first blacksmith here on the Metal Forge. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've always I, I've always wanted yeah. to do it, but it's yeah. you know, time and oh, space hell yeah, man. and space to yeah. do it. So I'm actually I've been working on a little book, uh so like a little thing on how to people who might not know how to get into it could get into it really quick because it's actually a lot simpler than a lot of people would like you to know it is. Oh yeah uh, for, for starting it. Yeah. And yeah. so that I'll definitely send you a PDF of that and uh, probably send you over a thank you necklace or something if you, oh, if you can toss me. Yeah, no oh, worries. Dude, you're <laughs> awesome. Yeah, uh, like uh, you could get into it really cheap. I know, like with a brake drum forge and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. So yeah. So yeah. I've known people to even use Maxwell coffee cup stuff like that. Just oh, like yeah. the jars of coffee. Yeah. Oh, it's wow. crazy what some people use. <laughs> definitely. All right, Metalheads, we're going to take one last break. We're going to come back. We're going to finish up this interview, and we're going to play some music and rock the fuck out. Hi, this is Frank Green from the It's Going to Get Weird podcast, a podcast I host with Scott Clark. You're going to get everything you need on the podcast. Lots of laughs, lots of music, some sports, and maybe some inappropriate shit. 
usually that's Scott's forte. Check it out. It's going to get weird. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and everywhere you get your podcasts online. It's going to get weird. I'm going to put my foot right in your ass. Oh! Hey! Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts. Metalheads are usually eclectic people. We like to collect a lot of things. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we are knick-knack collectors in the most part. So what do you all collect personally? I suppose the most blatant one for me would be I collect mountain peaks. Uh, every summer, I I bag. How uh, many did I get last year? I, th- I think last year I got 12 or 13 summits. Nice. Um, this this year, we're already a little behind schedule over here. The snow is sticking around. We've got some pretty bad weather right now, but I'm going out to get uh, a circuit of three this coming weekend, leaving on Friday, camping overnight, on Saturday morning, going to get three and... Uh, head back yeah nice for me uh i'm a huge dork so like the main things that i like to collect outside of like metal stuff would be like warhammer 40k stuff or uh magic the gathering like i me and my friends are really into like tabletop games or D stuff cool yeah definitely what are your (laughs) thought what are your thoughts on fifth edition you know what? I, I really don't mind it because I was really big into 3.5 and so 5th edition seems to be fine by me. It's, I haven't played it much. I still mostly play 3.5, but from what I have seen, it seems good. So Right. It three. It's From what I've been told, I have not played 5th, but I heard it's 3.5, mm-hmm. but fixed. Yeah, that's basically what <laughs> I've heard as well. Yeah. For sure. What was your favorite TV show growing up? Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Real quick answer there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, Naruto. So, you know, not too far off. <laughs> oh, we're such weebs. We yeah. just lost a hundred fans. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean one of the first thing one of the first things I ever forged was one of the headbands from Naruto. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. That's that's awesome though. Yeah. That, yeah. That's 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 rad. Uh yeah. This one's a big one. What's your most unpopular music opinion? I'm huge into pop country. Just going to put that out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, de- definitely, <laughs> definitely pop. I listen. I My playlist is so schizophrenic. And I Same. absolutely. Dude, do you know how much I love Lady Gaga's most recent album? Oh, I haven't even heard it yet. So, oh, you know man. what? <laughs> Alice? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to put that on. What, when we're done this, that's what's going on. Yeah, you gotta, listen, you gotta listen to Alice by Gaga off her newest album. The visuals yeah, are great. She went, I, I swear, swear to God, she ripped off uh, Guar's Volvatron character. 
Uh, it doesn't surprise me. Like <laughs> you know, like it's like purple cyborg monsters sort of thing right now. That's sick. You know, like uh, Jonas Ackerlund, the guy who used to be in Bath remade her poker face music video. So oh, that doesn't. Yeah. Sweet. So, but like, yeah, for me, it's like me and the guy who did uh, the uh, interludes for this Anahata album. Like a lot of the time, we're just driving around listening to Bro Country. So I don't know how many people would like to hear that. But Trace <laughs> Adkins is amazing. Yeah. Trace Adkins is the Chad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's funny that like if you have a huge funnel of music, yeah, how you can hear intersecting things. Oh that, yeah, that Absolutely. you're like. Wow, that kind of sounds like this Metallica song, and it's you know a Lady oh, yeah. Gaga song, or it's uh, a Billy Eilish. Variety is the spice of life. Very much, yeah, man. Uh, Unabashedly, I will I will go through different genres and look for things that I can put back into my own metal stuff. Like, yeah. oh, it's for just, sure, it's just you need to. Yeah, well, absolutely. That's just like James Hetfield was a huge Arctic Arctic Monkeys fan. There you go. So yeah. it's like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. So. All right, yep. got, got a couple more questions. What album is an entire playthrough for you? Front to back, mm. what is it? I tend to try and do that with most, but the ones that really stick out as like a journey for me would be anything by a band called Summoning. So that's like mm. Tolkien ambient uh, black metal from Austria. It's just two guys. And a lot of it uh, is lost on many people because it does sound like a big massive sound just hitting you and the reverb can be a little overbearing for a lot of people but realistically for me it kind of just sounds like um like a landscape the same the same way the british band from where i'm from originally manchester they're called winter Phyllis. they also do a similar sort of thing where it's like they're painting a landscape with sound and so i owe that landscape uh the the pathways within sort of so to speak so it's like i like to listen from back to front of stuff like that reading along the lyrics uh, more close to home, I think the the biggest one for me that I will listen back to front from Canada would be a band called Throssenblatt, and that's ex Woods of Ypres member Joel Violet or Violetti. So I always say that wrong, but uh, yeah, Joel Violetti, and he uh, oftentimes like uh, seamlessly will put like uh, that sort of maritime sound into black metal in a really cool way that I don't hear most a lot of people doing, and so. Uh, reading his lyrics as a kid and even knowing him now as a friend is just like truly humbling a and B I get like a different perspective on how deeply entwined he is with the same sort of philosophies me and Kyle are. So like listening through to those and reading lyrics that I've been reading for years and saying, Oh, that's what that means is beautiful to me. Awesome. I haven't listened to Grossenblatt yet. I loved uh, Woods of Ypres, so I should give Grossenblatt a good listen. Oh dude, you'd love it. Like, yeah, you gotta any of those. You'd love that stuff. Cool. Uh, album front to back for me. Uh, it's a relatively newer one, but actually Reptilian by Keep of Kalesin. Just a total modern extreme metal album, but nice. it flows super, super well. Uh, I haven't necessarily been able to analyze it to the degree of noticing if they use uh, repeating melodies, but it just sounds cohesive. It just flows absolutely brilliantly. Um, another one that's a total adventure for me, as I said, I'm a big Trivium fan, is their album Shogun. That thing is a monstrous masterpiece. Oh, hell yeah. Too. Yeah, I, and I they, agree. And, and in that, they use a whole bunch of uh, repeating motifs that tie the whole thing together. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, they do. Awesome. 
I do have one more question, but before we get into it, I do want to say, as always, links will be listed below. Support these guys. Go buy the album off of their Bandcamp page. Go give them a like, a share, and a follow. And do you guys have any shout-outs you want to give to anybody before we go today? Uh, absolutely. First and foremost, Alex Snape, our magical producer and musical compatriot. Uh, absolutely. His page, Nomadic Arts Studios. Uh, he does incredible work across quite a scope of genres from what I can tell. Uh, obviously our boy, Zach Jansen, Grail Knight, and uh, a couple of his other projects. Uh, and even though she doesn't have any social media or website of any sort, uh, my dear Swah, who has been a great designer for us, who did the logo and, uh, has helped me out through a whole lot of the, not necessarily the writing process, but bouncing ideas back and forth off. So thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I, th I think that's a perfect list of shout outs. If anyone else, it would be uh, Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> Last question is what album changed your life? Wow. Honestly, my knee jerk reaction is to say Metallica's Ride the Lightning. Because I recall, I can't recall how old I was, but I picked it up at the Future Shop in Park Royal in North Vancouver. And I was just walking through the music aisle and I saw that electric chair and the Metallica and I had something. I was like, what is that? What? I, I need that. And I can't recall exactly the in-between of convincing my parents to buy it for me or whatever. I, I want to say I was probably grade four or five. So, you know, like nine or ten, I think that would be. Nine or ten years old. Um, and I remember I got it home and I kneeled down in front of my TV, opened up that DVD player that was also my CD player, and I put that thing in. And, uh, you know, fight fire with fire, that acoustic intro starts dun 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 dun, dun. and then that, how it builds and you get that swell and then it just right into that fucking thrash riff dun 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 and i remember i shot up off my knees and i pressed stop on the album and i was like what have i just found and i'm sure that's a story <laughs> that so many people have had similar experience. You find that Metallica album, because my dad's always been into Kiss, ACDC, sort of like just general rock. Uh, but to find that, that was that changed the game. Nice. Yeah, that's sick. That's a that's a good one. I think from from me, uh, it would come down to a few different buildups of things. I I would always loved alternative music so i grew up on like billy talent iron maiden things that my dad showed me all the time uh but really the the one thing i felt like was always fleeting and as i grew older feeling like i couldn't always be holding a wooden sword anymore and running through the woods like fighting air and you know constantly reading books and mythology stories and stuff Conjured like that in the mind of a boy who would be gay. yeah you know absolutely stuff like that where it's like as you grow older, you kind of do lose that sense of uh, something more and something beyond. And people are often saying that children see more than ad adults. And I think that's uh, a really important motif to keep in mind when I say that when I first heard uh, any music that I'm still listening to to this day, it was getting into high school, getting into like a, a school system that was uh, unabashedly like, you know, just kind of trying to pump you out as 
an adult by the end of it or something that at least looks like an adult. Uh, to me, I always knew that I needed to keep that sort of essence of a kid inside all the time. With No matter what I do throughout life, one of the main things I try and hold on to is like a childlike mentality uh, or outlook on the world. And a lot of that for me was fan- fantasy, fantastical stuff, mythology driven. And so the first time I heard Ensiferum's From Afar record was something that was like, damn, that's exactly what this sounds like this thing that I've had inside and, you know, music like Manowar were kind of grasping at it, but almost in a sort of like, uh, like tongue in cheek sort of way. But no, this was like pure, just a, a sword in handed sort of Viking metal sound that I was looking for. And so, you know, I'll still listen to that today and be like, that's still just an absolute banger from top to bottom. I will always be able to listen to that. Yeah. Just, you know, it's so important to have that sort of, musical accompaniment to how I want to be living my life. And that's absolutely it. You're living not only in the physical world, but you're constantly living in a metaphysical world. And so keeping in mind that you need to truck on and you only sometimes have a shield and sword at your side is a very good way of looking at life. I think very much. And I feel the same way about motorhead. (laughs) So yes, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Yoan, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. This has been super fucking rad. I appreciate you guys and I'm looking forward to all the new stuff that you do want to, that you are going to be putting out. I'm sure at at some point, (laughs) hopefully, I mean, when people ask, of of course, it's like, well, when when are you putting something new out? Well, this just came out. So let it, it's only been out a month. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Uh, So off of the album, auspicious Ativism, what do you guys want me to play out off of the album today? Yo, and, you sang those beautiful vocals. You put the cherry on top of all my work. You pick it. Oh, man. I think as we sort of like to collectively end whenever we ask anyone what they would like to take away from the album, it would be to begin and start your own journey and to really start of get out there and understand that you're the master of your own world and the master of your own fate. And the only way to do that is taking that first step. So I'm going to have to say beneath the mountain. So you heard it from Johan. This is Zero Beneath the Mountain.
Hey, thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of the Metal Forge. I want to take a minute to remind you guys about the Patreon page. Over on the Patreon page, we have the tiers set up to support the production of the show. We feature the Down and Dirty, which is just a buck. There's nothing special for that one. It just sends me a thank you because every dollar helps. Then there's the Double Down and Dirty. Much akin to the Down and Dirty tier, everything helps produce the show in the end. You make your presence known, and I appreciate that more than you realize. Thank you for being a dedicated friend and supporter to the Metal Forge. By selecting that tier, you will receive some cool Metal Forge stickers in your mailbox. Now, we're really going to start pounding the metal madness with the Apprentice Metalhead for just $5 a month. By becoming an Apprentice Metalhead, you'll be given early access to the shows, published 24 hours before everyone else gets it. You're also going to receive three entries in any contest that we do here at the Metal Forge. You're also going to receive a 10% discount on all Metal Forge merch, and you're going to receive a sweet Metal Forge patch for your battle jacket or backpack. And now, here is the big one. This is the Master Metalhead for just $10 a month. By becoming a Master Metalhead, you will receive a hand-numbered Metal Forge Master Metalhead membership card. You're going to be given early access to the shows as well, with 36 hours before everyone else. You're going to receive five entries in any contest that we do here at the Metal Forge. You'll be able to submit audio questions that I will use on the show of you asking questions to the upcoming guests. Remember, timing is everything, and you will need to keep up with the upcoming guest list on the website. You're also going to receive advanced knowledge of any new merch coming out and be given a 25% discount on all Metal Forge merch. And you're also going to get all of the other rewards from the other tiers. So visit patreon.com slash Metal Forge Radio today and help support the Metal Forge. Rock on. <laughs>